It's always a joy to be able to uh, come to a church where I know the, the pastor is a like-minded brother in the faith, and he's faithful to uh, being in the Word and preaching the Word uh, day by day and week by week. And um, It's always an encouragement. You'd be surprised at how many times that is not the case, but I'm always uh, blessed and encouraged to be able to come to a place like this where I know um, you guys have a faithful shepherd. So... Um, the text this morning will be from Hebrews um, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And uh, if you'd like to turn there, you can. I'll be um, reading it for you and uh, going through most of the text as we go along. Um, but just kind of by way of introduction before we get into the text, as you're turning there or whatever, uh, I think that there is a, a slogan that represents, you know, we all know it, the state of Missouri. Um, and I believe it's a common statement amongst mankind. You know, the state is known as the Show Me State. And it is known as the show-me state because people are proud to say that they will believe it when they see it. Or they call it the show-me state because people don't trust anyone. And there's a long history here of mistreatment and doubting amongst men. But this stems from the sinful heart that doesn't want to believe others, much less believe the authority of God. And all men follow in their wicked hearts after their ancestors who, seeing God's wonders in creation, deny His very existence. Who, like the Israelites, having received the prophets, the voice pieces of God, they beat and killed them, like the Jews did to Jesus as they mocked and crucified Him. And much like Thomas in the New Testament, who said, Unless I can put my fingers in His hands and side, I will not believe. Those who have mixed Christianity with other social norms and corrupted its teachings and who have denied salvation by Christ alone, and the authority and superiority of His revelation, which is what our text here is talking about today, which ultimately in our churches across the nation and across the world have produced Christless Christianity. But Christ is the authority of all things, whether people want to acknowledge it or not. He is the authority, and that is not to be questioned. And He... And what he says should determine everything about our lives, from our thoughts to our morals, down to the very words that leave our lips. Because Christ is the supreme authority of all things. And his authority here given to us in this text is revealed as being three things. Final, superior, and sufficient. And that should satisfy believers as revealing to them God. So let us turn to the word and I will begin. Hebrews 1, 1-4. through 4. And it reads, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He also made the world. And He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the power of His word. When he had made purifications of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, and has received an inheritance more excellent and a more excellent name than they. Here we have God's divine revelation. How it has been given to the people of God since the beginning of time, and how it is given to us now. At the beginning it says, God spoke. When God speaks, He is telling us something about Himself. 
As A.W. Pink once put it, he said, A silent God is an unknown God. God speaking is God expressing and revealing Himself. If God had not determined to reveal Himself, what a terrible place we would be in. God has created all men for the sole purpose of declaring His praise. And we will not find our satisfaction in any other endeavor. And if God had not chosen to reveal Himself, we would be creatures unable to fulfill our purpose. God was under no obligation to reveal Himself. There was nothing that forced God to make Himself known to fallen creatures. It is divine grace that God would speak to men. However, it is a greater divine grace that God would speak to us, not just in simple revelation, but through the special revelation of His Word, condescending down to speak to us on our level, to speak to us in baby talk. As we look around the world, we can perceive things with our eyes. When we look down upon the earth and around us, we see and comprehend with great detail the created matter before us. But when we look at the sun, our eyes are blunted and dulled, serving us no use, for they cannot perceive its brilliance without being blinded. This is the way it is with God and the finite human mind. We cannot comprehend Him if He would have revealed Himself to us as He is, apart from condescending to take what was out of our reach and put it in our reach. And He has given it to us in His Word. God has made Himself known. This brings us back to the book of Hebrews, which is ultimately a divine revelation of God, whereby He, through the apostles, makes a comparison between the Mosaical Law in the Old Testament and the Gospel in the New Testament, referring unto it in two manners. First, the revelation as an institution, and secondly, the whole nature, use, and efficiency of that revelation. This is the testimony of the superiority of the authority of Christ. While Moses and the prophets were instruments in displaying God, they were but types and shadows to the promise of Christ. However, these two revelations are not different in respect to whom they reveal, but what they reveal concerning Him. They do agree, for God is the author, and neither of them was from men, according to 2 Timothy 3.16 and 2 Peter 1.20-21. Even the Old Testament saints were instruments of God, just as the apostles of the New Testament were. However, there is a difference between how God spoke then and how God speaks now. The text then goes on to say that God spoke long ago. There was a time when God spoke through men in a manner that was different than today. God spoke differently in respect to how He spoke, that is, the manner of His speaking, in the timing of His speaking, and to whom He was speaking to. When the word says long ago, it is making a contrast between now and then. And when it makes that contrast, it is allowing us to see that God is no longer speaking this way. So let us take a look at how God spoke previously and the superiority of His speech now. It says that God spoke to the fathers through the prophets in many portions. In many portions, as many allotments. There was a different amount of revelation given to each prophet. To some prophets, there was much given. Like Moses, there were at least five whole books, roughly 80,000 words, given specifically for him to pen. 
And the author of Obadiah, there was only 21 verses. The amount God revealed was different from author to author. And the periods of time between each writing were also greatly different. There was nothing written by man from God from from the time of Adam until the time of Moses. And there was a long period of time between the last Old Testament writing, the book of Malachi, and the New Testament after the death and resurrection and ascension of Christ. So as it was long ago and in many portions, many allotments, God also formally spoke in many ways. And as he spoke in many ways, he spoke directly and indirectly to men. In Genesis 1.28, God blessed them. He's speaking to Adam and Eve here. And he's saying, God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and every living thing that moves on the earth. God spoke audibly, word for word, directly to Adam. Straight from the voice of God, Adam heard him speak. God also spoke through other means, such as angels. Genesis 21:17. God heard the lad crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do you not fear? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. God also spoke through other instruments, such as the prophets, as our text here declares. God formally spoke to the fathers through the prophets. You see this in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea. You can go through all of them. God also spoke through the mouth of Balaam's donkey, Numbers 22. God used many instruments to speak directly and indirectly to his people. God also revealed himself to the prophets through various ways. God spoke mouth to mouth with Moses in Numbers 12.8. And God spoke through a pillar of a cloud in Numbers 12.5. And God spoke through a burning bush in Exodus 3.2. God revealed His divine nature through signs and wonders, and He provided for His people through manna from heaven and the water from a rock. God revealed Himself through angels in Daniel 10.8, and with Mary giving, uh, concerning her giving birth to Christ. God revealed Himself through all the signs and wonders in Egypt, and God gave revelation to the prophets while some of them were sleeping, in Genesis 31, and other visions. But God does not speak these ways anymore because God's speech now has been given to us as final, superior, and sufficient. It says that God speaks presently by the Son. And that is the full thrust and focus of our text and this morning's message, I pray. He speaks to us through His Son, the Son of God. Christ is the Son of God. He is the Son in two respects. First, in His being. He is the second person of the Godhead. He always has been that from all eternity past. He in His essential being and existence is the Son of God. And secondly, Christ is the Son of God in respect to His incarnation. When Christ took on the sinless human nature in which He did not cease to be God, nor did He empty Himself of any of His essential divine attributes, as some may foolishly think, but He is inseparably from the divine being. He is God manifest in flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16 For he shall be called the Son of God. Luke 1.35 The second person of the Godhead who subsisted from all eternity as God became flesh and dwelt among us, condescending to reveal to us God. God spoke to us through one who became like us. Christ is God's final mouthpiece. Luke 9.35 reads, 
Then a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my Son, my Chosen One. Listen to Him. And as the great Puritan theologian John Owen observed, If it is then confessed that God ceased to speak to the church and prophets as to their oral teaching and writings after the days of Malachi, and now He speaks to us through a new language, He speaks to us through His Son. Much as a person speaks through the language of French or Spanish or Italian or whatever language you can think of, this is the speech which God uses. It is not limited to mortal tongue, but the speech of God is in His Son. The difference between the means and message of the Old Testament is that it serves the purpose of pointing to the final revelation, Christ. The means of the Old Revelation were inferior to Christ because Christ has won the authority and to the great power to have preeminence in all of Revelation. That is why God now speaks through His Son. And we are blessed and honored to be living on this side of the cross. Christ is the heir of all things. He is superior. And this text is telling to us the superiority of the final revelation, which is Christ. And the old revelation spoke concerning Him. Luke 24:27 Then began with Moses and with all the prophets Christ explained to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures because they served as a means to testify about him and to exalt him He is the supreme authority and revelation of God because he is superior to everything else Do you believe this brothers Is this true in your life Is He supreme and high and lifted up above all earthly riches? Above all things? Like your cars, like your friends, your very family, your houses, your iPhone and computer, whatever it may be. Is He supreme in your life? Because God is the supreme passion of your soul. I am here to testify to you today that He is supreme and superior to all else. So not only is He the final revelation of God, He is also the superior revelation of God. Because He has been appointed as the heir of all things. Because in stepping down from heaven and becoming conjoined with the human nature, the Father exalts the Son as the heir of all things. One, because Christ created everything. Two, because He is the radiance and exact representation of God. And three, because Christ is the sustainer of all things. This is why He is superior. Because He is God Himself. Even the fallen angels are obligated to bow before His omnipotence. And yet we walk around proud and don't even acknowledge Him in our lives. But all men owe their allegiance to God. All things owe their praise to God. All people will worship their Master who is the heir of all things either by the grace given to them right now or when He returns as the triumphant King of Kings. All things must praise the Ruler. The Father has put all things under His subjection, whether we see it or not. And those who dare defy His sovereign rule will pay an eternal torment beneath His mighty feet. That great heir of all things, Christ Jesus our Lord, He is superior to all because He is the ruler of all. He is superior in His revelation because He is the heir. And He is the divine agent of creation, as verse 1 
Or chapter 1 verse 2 tells us. Christ is the one who created all things. Here the apostle proceeds in his description of the person in whom God spoke in the revelation of the gospel. Ascending unto such a manifestation of him as that they might understand his eminency above all formerly used in like ministrations. As how he was pointed out and shadowed by the Old Testament. But Christ disappeared because he is the one who created all. Romans 11.6 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Friends, Christ has superior authority in his revelation over all things, past and present, because he has sovereign right over his creation. The sovereign creator who created all things that have ever existed, calling them into being from nothing by the desire of his will, came to become a man and to make himself known amongst his subjects. It is such an astonishing thing that the one who created the universe not only made himself known but became a man and dwelt among us. You see, this is, the un- this is unheard of in our day. You do not see the CEO of McDonald's going and working on the grills. You do not see the President of the United States sweeping the streets. Kings were rarely amongst their people in times of old. And when they were, they were totally exalted and paraded around and set apart. But not our mighty God. He came down and conjoined his very nature in the second person of the Trinity with a man, or the human nature. He took on our flesh. He took on our infirmities. He took on our nature and made himself abundantly clear to us. We have no excuse. Christ is also superior because he was one, the creator, and two, because he became, or because he is, the exact radiance of God. He is the radiance of God's glory, as our text says. Christ is superior superior in his revelation because he is the perfect manifestation of the Godhead. In the Old Testament, our revelation of God was a veil. It was like the veil of a person who would see their wife on their wedding day. They could still see her, but it wasn't perfect. It was hidden, shadowed, covered. But the, the, but the beauty has been unveiled for us. It was not complete then. It was not always clear. But in Christ, we have the exact radiance of His glory. Everything that God is, everything that God does, all that embodies what it means to be God, is the man Christ Jesus. And as we look amongst creation, we can take once again the example of the Son. When we look at, when we look at it, we see the spear, which is the Son. And we see the rays, which come from it. They are distinct, yet they are the same. The sun is not the sun without the sphere. And the sun is not the sun without the rays. Both are essential to its very existence. And Christ is that for us. He is the illumination and off-branch for us to see the beauties, excellencies, and glory of the Father. As light is to the sun... So is Jesus Christ to the glory of God. He is the brightness of that glory. That is to say that there is not any glory in God but what is also in Christ. And when that glory reaches its climax, when God, the ever glorious, is most glorious, the greatest glory of God is Christ. 
He is the exact representation of His essence. 1.3 The Son is not just the manifestation to us of God, but He is God Himself. That is why He is the exact representation of His nature. One with the Father in His very being, essence, and existence. Friends, the high priest of the Old Testament wore a golden plate upon his head, which was carved the Hebrew words which said, Holiness unto God. It was engraved, carved in, etched out with this expression. And Christ is the engraved image of God. Christ is the engravement of God in human flesh. Christ is the expressed image of the holiness unto God. The holiness, the very holiness of God Himself. For it is impossible to exhaustively describe this mighty representative. If all the skies were scrolls, and all the grass were pens, and all the oceans ink, there would not be enough room to contain all the ways. He is exactly representing Himself to us. He is inexhaustibly the reflection of God to us. And He is the sustainer of all things. Finally, let me say concerning Christ being the sufficient revelation of God, that He is the final revelation because He is the aim of all of it. Brothers, if you have ever heard, a be- or ever, if your eyes have ever beheld a beautiful sunset or heard a beautiful song, Seeing seeing the sunset with the limitless colors of God's glorious design and hearing the music in all of its various pitches and tempos, if you have ever visited the Grand Canyon and seen the height, width, and depth of His matchless sovereign hand, if you have looked upon the sky on a clear night and beheld the stars, your mind must run to the magnificence with which creation displays the God of the universe. Jesus Christ is put on display, brothers, and most of the world never knows. He is the aim and end of all creation to reveal His marvelous wonders. And not, that, and not one thing in creation can describe Him. A tree cannot describe His sturdiness, a bird cannot describe His grace, and a lion cannot describe His power. The indescribable, unparalleled, sovereign God. Nothing in creation can describe Him but Christ, God Himself. His sovereign control sustains all things, from the air we breathe to the food we eat. Just ponder with me for a moment on this lofty thought. Our world is upheld by Christ. While He was in the womb, while He was compassionate to the brokenhearted, While he was healing the sick, while he was hanging on a tree, he upheld all things. Nothing is that he has not spoken into being. And if he did not will it, it would crawl back into the nothing from which it came from. For by him all things consist. And he upholds all things by the power of his word. The world was created as a stage to display and to manifest the glory of God. And the pinnacle of all revelation is God Himself, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us move on, though, to the the third point. Christ is sufficient. His revelation is sufficient. Just as Christ is the final, sole, sufficient revelation of God, 
Because he is God, as shown as being the creator, the radiance and express image of God, the sustainer of all things, Christ is also the only sufficient revelation of God because he is the savior of men. And his work is complete. The text tells us he sat. Christ's authority and revelation of God is sufficient because he is the author of sin's cleansing. Christ himself removed the sins of men. He took them and removed them from our account. He took them away from the Father's eyes. That disdainful, dreaded sin which hung over the souls of men was taken from us and removed from us as far as the east is from the west. Listen to the words of the Prince of Preachers, Spurgeon, as he claims, The Holy Christ, incapable of sin, stooped to purge our sins. I want you to meditate upon that wondrous work and to remember what He did. And He did it before He went back to heaven. Is it not a wonderful thing that Christ purged our sins even before we had been born and committed them? There they stood before the sight of God. is already existent in all their hideousness. But Christ came and bore them on Himself on the tree. Christ made this purchase as our substitute. He took the place we deserve. The wrath of God hung over us like the gavel of a judge. And Christ stood in our place as the gavel sentence came crashing down. Christ alone, with no one to stand with Him, with no work to stand beside Him, took the disgrace we were from us. As our sins raised up before the sight of God, as a stench rises up from decomposing flesh, our sin rose up before God and was an offense to His holy presence. We, as violators of God's holy standard, deserve His wrath. But Christ, our great mediator, Christ was sufficient and God counted His payment as a perfect Equivalent for the payment of our sins. If you think about it with me, the people who will be in hell will be paying for their sins for an eternity. And they will never pay the price. Because their money, their works, their deeds are never good enough. The currency of man can never pay the ransom of God. The currency of man is always worthless. That's why Christ had to bear our sin for us. As that beautiful hymn declares, it says, Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but He washed it white as snow. Friends, on our best day, we could not wash that crimson stain. We could never merit God's favor. But the text tells us that Jesus Christ, after accomplishing, after accomplishing His work, sat at the right hand of the majesty on high, God Himself. He, or His work is complete, and that is why it is sufficient. His work is sufficient, friends, for there is a parallel here which we must understand to comprehend the weight of these words. On the great day of atonement, the priests of Israel would perform sacrifices for the people's sins. While they presented themselves before God, they were not allowed to sit. They could not rest. 
They had to stand and shake before the presence of God. They could not rest. They had to tremble in fear as they presented themselves before God to make intercession for the people. They were not allowed to sit because their work was never done. And their work was never done because their work was never efficient. It was never good enough. Every year, they had to perform this sacrifice. When they finished, they had the year to come. And then the year after that, and the year after that, that is why there is no seat for the human priest in the Old Testament temple. But friends, we have a greater priest, the greatest priest. Our high priest is Christ, who having once for all offered himself as the sacrifice for sin, he has now gone into the most holy place, and there he sits. He is able to rest because his work is sufficient and complete. He does not, like the priests of old, have a sacrifice to reform next year or the year to come. He was the perfect sacrifice. And he has paid the price for all of those given to him by the Father for him to pay. He does not have to worry about covering any more sin. For all whose names who have been written in the book of life, Christ paid for. There is no more sin to be purged. No more sacrifice necessary. Christ's work is sufficient and He now rests. Now it is important to note, as A.W. Pink once said, none whose name is indulably stamped on the heart of our great high priest can ever perish. Friends, when the book was written for Christ to pay for, we had not yet even existed. That is amazing grace. What a Savior. Friends, think, when you go to the store and you pay the required price for a product, do you not receive it? And it belongs completely to you? Suppose you went to Walmart and you paid for an orange. Do you not expect to have it as your possession? How much more so that the king of kings who has paid the price to his own father will receive from his father his reward, his bride, the church. Christ will have what he has bought because he is supreme. As our final point here, Christ is greater than the angels. Verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 4. Christ is the, Christ's authority is final. Christ's authority is superior and sufficient. But Christ's authority is supreme. When the shepherds and wise men beheld angels, they marveled and wondered and they believed them. When Mary and Joseph encountered angels, they believed them. When saints of old saw angelic signs, they believed them. Why? I can tell you why. Because the angels are messengers of God. They come from the very throne room of God. And when they meet a man, they were just previously in the presence of the Holy God. The angels are holy and can be in the presence of God. That is why they are believed. The angels are beautiful. When men encounter angels in Scripture, they shake and crumble in fear at their awesome and holy sight. The angels are beautiful and awesome. And are in the throne room of God. 
When they go out to do His work, it is because God has sent them to do it. But friends, let me tell you of one whose authority is not as a messenger, but the one to whom the glorious angels sing praises to, Jesus Christ. He is supreme over the angels in His authority, because no matter how close the angels get to God, no matter what message they bring, even if it be verbatim, it does not compare to the authority of the revelation of God Himself, Jesus Christ, the Word leaving His lips. He is supreme. The angels, the greatest created beings who had ever existed, never experienced sin. And they pale in comparison to the matchless holiness of Christ. Men of old were scared to even look upon the holy angels and considered themselves ruined to have been in their presence. And no man can see the face of God, but Christ is that face. The one whom in Isaiah 6, the angels who had never sinned, covered their faces in His holy presence, has revealed Himself to men as a man. Yet how was He welcomed? When He performed wonders and miracles and the people were amazed, they even said, who is this who teaches with such authority? How was He welcomed? Did men bow down and worship Him as He rightly deserved as the supreme revelation and authority? People in times past would not look a king in the face for fear of his awesome power. But what happened when the supreme revelation of God revealed his face to men? We spat upon it. We beat him and hung him on a tree. This supreme and awesome authority came, bled, and died for unworthy men. What a mighty God. What a supreme authority. In conclusion, friends, trust Christ. Believe unto Christ, the supreme authority, who has commanded His people to believe, to live in faith and obedience to His Word. Friends, where do you find refuge? Do you know our Lord? The one who gives rest to the weak? The one who heals the sick and saves the sinner? Friends, do you know Him? Jesus Christ is the final revelation of God. Jesus Christ is the sufficient revelation of God. Jesus Christ is the supreme revelation of God. We hear tales in our day, in many churches, that's what's run rampant, about people who claim to have been to heaven who have claimed to have seen the terrors of hell. There are books written about this. There are fanatics out there who claim to have spoken to angels and seen them. The Mormons and Islam both have at the center of their religion extra-biblical revelation from God and from angels or whatever. But what does this revelation do to Christ? I can tell you what these claims do to Christ. They cast His final, superior sufficient and supreme revelation into the garbage. It is a sad time when self-proclaimed believers find their distinction as Christians in extra-biblical experience, finding their sole sufficiency in the fact that they have seen angels or they have seen miracles or wonders, 
But this is nothing compared to the revelation of Christ. That is where all our sufficiencies should rest. He is our authority. How do you know Christ? How do you know that you know Him? I tell you, if you know Him apart from Scripture, you know Him wrongly. The fullness of God wants men to know concerning Christ. Everything that God wants us to know is in this book that we neglect. That sits on our shelf at home and collects dust. That is why it is of utter importance that in our obedience to God we pick up His Word and read it. For He has said, This is my Son, my Chosen One. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. To know Him, to cherish Him, to obey Him, we must be in the Word of God. Spurgeon also had a saying that I recall that always struck me. In his day, he said that there's enough dust on most men's Bibles to write the word damnation. That is a stunning fact in our day. How many people are willing to find their sufficiency, their, their satisfaction, their joy, their, their hopes in things apart from the Bible? The only thing that will never perish and fade is the very Word of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. And we don't find our sufficiency, our joy, and our praise in Him. Let us think about that throughout the rest of the week as we live our lives to honor and glorify His name. That we would challenge other people who profess to believe in Christ that they would pick up the Word. That they would take up and read. Take up and read. Let us pray. Lord God, we come to You today and we thank You for Your awesome might and Your beauty and Your soul-satisfying Word. Lord God, we thank You most importantly for Your Son, Christ, who came, bled, and died as a substitute, as a propitiation for sins. Lord God, we thank You for the election that You have given us, that You have purchased us, these people here today who been marked by your spirit and your word that you have chosen us from the midst of the mire of the world to be your people Lord God we thank you and there is never going to be enough time for us to finish thanking you because we realize we've deserved it not Lord God we thank you for your supreme beautiful word and we pray that we would not neglect it as many times we neglect your grace in our very lives I pray that you would bring the crushing weight of conviction upon our hearts and minds as we look to the cross of Christ continually. Lord God, I pray that Christ will be you know, exalted as supreme in our lives as the emblem and the mark of our very living. And in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Again, the scripture he did this morning was Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 4, reflecting again, God after he spoke long ago to the fathers and prophets in many portions and in many ways, 
in these last days has spoken to us in the Son, and to me appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by his word of his power. And when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much better than angels, as he has inherited more excellent names than they. Throwing out in the text the greatness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his authority, what he has accomplished for us. Well done. We appreciate that, brother. Thank you so much. Maybe God is speaking to our hearts this morning. Maybe God is laying something on our heart. Maybe this is a day of salvation for you. Well, I don't know what God does. And so what we're going to do right now, we're going to sing a hymn together. Uh, where, what hymn did we pick? Uh, hymn 349. 349. Maybe God is speaking to your heart. And uh, this is a day of salvation. I don't know. But uh, if you need somebody to pray with, I'll be up here. Be glad to talk with you or talk to you on your heart. It's time to share. Let's stand Yeah, he's fine. 